Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the podcast of the Practice Manager webinar recorded on Wednesday the 9th of December. So welcome everybody, it's lovely to see you all, well we know you're there and even if we can't see you, so it's um, great that you can join us. Michelle, over to you. Thanks Louise, so just wanted to do a quick update on flu. So some of you may be aware at our last Practice Manager webinar we did quite a lot of um, uh, questions on the 50 to 64 year olds which as promised we produced an FAQ document and is available on our website. Along with this, we have had a number of questions around coding and to try and help, the Southeast Public Health team have produced a really good document that talks about the codes that you need to do for each of the different cohorts. And we thought it would be useful to have an overview of that. The main issues I think practices are finding. So for the um, non-clinical at-risk groups, these are the ones that are, are causing an issue because for clinical, for the clinical risk groups and the over 65s, those codes, you know, they, that information is already on their record, so you don't need to think why are they eligible. It's the ones that are non-clinical. So within the guidance document that Public Health produced, it talks about the codes that you need to use for those. So that should help um, with recording. And that's all I wanted to say. Gosh, that was brief. Thank you very much, Michelle. That's really helpful. Very helpful. Thank you. Um, Lisa, can I just hand on for you? You just got a little CQC update for us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Equally brief, really. I think um, we already mentioned at a previous webinar that um, CQC are moving from their emergency support framework to their transitional monitoring approach, with the, which they're currently developing and um, will be introducing that next, next year. Um, but we are aware that they are doing some telephone calls with practices and um, continuing to do that through December, January. So we just want, really wanted to make an offer to practices that if anybody would like any additional support, or if they have any questions, if they get a call from CQC, then please do feel free to get in touch with us and we're very happy uh, to offer whatever support we can. Lovely. Thank you, Lisa. Um, can I just say, there's a question coming about relevant codes. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that's probably COVID. I don't know whether it's flu, but if you do want to look up the codes, Michelle, where is the best place to look for COVID or flu as far as read codes go? I can definitely answer flu. I can okay. put it on our website and I'll put that, I can quickly answer that question and put it in the chat box if people want to, to have a look at that. It's on it's on our flu page and I think it's flu 2021 coding, but I'll, I'll get the exact um Okay, and, and if it's a COVID question, Nigel, just because we're talking about recode? Uh, they should be in the system now. Okay. So, I mean, I always found the easiest way. They're not they're not recodes anymore. They're SNOMED codes. But if you just type in COVID vaccination or COVID, you should come up with a list of codes. If you use the Arden's templates, they're already pre-coded in there and they're updated regularly. Brilliant. Thank you, Nigel. So if you hold on to um, pass on to you now, please, to um, for a COVID update. Um, Thank you. <coughs> Thank you, and um, thank you for joining us today. Um, it's been, dare I say, a really interesting week. Uh, things have been changing almost, um, not quite by the minute, but certainly by the hour. So just to give you some headlines, because I think probably better that um, I just give you a few um, facts uh, about what's going on, and then um, hopefully you can submit questions, because that's probably better uh, than me sitting here and uh, uh, droning on to you. So. Um, as you know, we've got one vaccine at the moment, the Pfizer-BioNTech, and we're waiting for the second one to come on stream. Um, the hospital started vaccinating yesterday. Um, general practice is going to start vaccinating next week. 
So next Monday and Tuesday practices, uh, there are 10 practices in Hampshire, I think four in Dorset and four or six in BSW, um, and one in North East Hampshire and Farnham, one or two. So there are a number of what they call wave one practices who now know when they're going to get their delivery of vaccine and when they're going to get the equipment that comes with the first delivery. So the equipment list is quite extensive. So if you've looked at your vaccine site, um, you'll get things like a defibrillator, um, laptops, um, barcode scanners, uh, goes down, down to Cottonwall balls. Um, then they've got wave two and three. Wave two comes in the middle of next week and wave three the following week. Now, what we learned last night, so this sort of changed it a bit. So although we'll get the pizza box with 975 doses, for the wave ones, they'll get their pizza box next week to do the over 80s, the um, people who work in care homes, um, and then they can use it in health and social care workers. We're not going to be doing the care homes or, or their housebound or the residents of lonely disability homes in the first bit because of the, the stability of the vaccine. So there's been, um, you'll have seen some of the um, newsletters I've put out say, yes, we are, no, we're not. So it's, it's not that I'm indecisive uh, or that I can't make my mind up, it's that the advice changes. So the first Pfizer vaccine is a 21-day interval now. They've changed it from 21 to 28 and back to 21. So when you order or when your first delivery comes, you'll get a second delivery four weeks later to vaccinate that same group with the second dose of it. Um, the national booking system isn't going to come online for a few weeks. So nationally, they've agreed to put £2 million into additional SMS text messaging, and they're looking to work with... Um, or they've done a deal, we believe, with AccuRx and some other providers, uh, which will be um, available for practice to use to help run their clinics. Um, consent, we thought, was going to have to be on paper, although on the webinar last night, they said that the consent could be informed consent and recorded in the Pinnacle software, not in your clinical systems. The clinical systems will be compliant, we think, but that may take, again, uh, two or three weeks before they become compliant and you can barcode scan the, the vials of the vaccine to go into the patient information that you're going to need to, to collect. Um, lots of people are worried about clinical waste. Don't worry about your clinical waste. The um, companies that do it have been stood up to, to do more of it because of the PPE and the um, needles and syringes you're going to use for the vaccination. Um, so that's all that. Um, so we had these practices really enthusiastic, ready to go, logistically got it all sorted out. I can go through some of the things to do with the vials, but rather than go through it, um, you may all well know about um, how, how, and how easy to use or how difficult it is to use, but I'll, I'll wait for any questions on that. But this morning, there's been a report from the regulator that there were two people yesterday in the hospitals who were vaccinated who had severe allergic reactions. So they've put out some advice and it certainly potentially changes things. So what they're saying is we shouldn't be giving the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine to anyone who's got any past history of significant allergy, whether that's to food, whether it's to antibiotics or whether it's to vaccines, they should not be given the Pfizer-BioNTech until we know more information. And the advice is that um, at the site that you're delivering it, you should have full resuscitation equipment and trained staff. So you should have a defibrillator, you should have um, 
access to an anaphylaxis box and people who are trained to deal with that. So the the other bit that's come out of that is the the advice we're getting is that now anybody that's had a Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine should probably wait under observation for 15 minutes afterwards. Now, that hasn't been totally confirmed. Um, it's what we've been told, but we'll wait till more information comes out uh, later on today, hopefully, or tomorrow, because obviously all the logistical planning that people have put into going live next week changes because of that uh, fact. Um, so I'm going to stop there and then I'm, I'll uh, answer any questions or cover any other areas where people aren't sure. Thank you, Nigel. So I'll just rattle through the questions and we'll just um, see how we get on. Um, we have a GP and a nurse who've both tested positive for antibodies for COVID. They're asking if they still need to have the vaccine. Yeah, so just remember, just because you've got antibodies doesn't mean you're immune. So um, if, if you've been vaccinated or you've had the disease and you've got antibodies, we don't know how long those antibodies will last for. So it doesn't mean you can go and work in the COVID hot site without any PPE and you, and you can't catch the vaccine, I can't catch the virus. In the, both the studies for AstraZeneca and Pfizer-BioNTech, they had um, a placebo group and people who got the active vaccine. And what both have shown is that people did catch COVID in the placebo group, which is not surprising. Um, and some of them were admitted to hospital and some of them were severely affected by COVID. But in both the vaccinated groups in Pfizer-BioNTech and AstraZeneca, um, I think I don't think there was anybody admitted to hospital and nobody had serious side effects of the virus. And what they think is it gives you this protective element. And they talk about the uh, effectiveness of the vaccine. I think we just need to be a bit careful that we don't say, oh, 94%. That's much better than 92%. Uh, you can't look at it like that. Both vaccines are deemed to be effective. Um, what we're waiting for is all the safety data to do with the AstraZeneca one before it gets a license, which hopefully will be in the near future. But also there is some early emerging evidence that if you um, have the AstraZeneca vaccine that you may not transmit the virus on. Um, whereas if you, you could potentially have had the vaccine, catch the virus and then spread it to other people. So that's one of the reasons why the research studies will carry on for some years to come, because we don't know even for next winter, whether you're going to need another vaccination, you know, you're going to have another dose of uh, the COVID vaccine or whether you'll get three or five year immunity. Um, most people on this are probably, well, I'm sure you are all too young to remember, but there was a time when we used to give tetanus jabs every five years um, and then we did them every 10 years. And then we worked out that, um, nobody caught tetanus who'd ever had a tetanus jab and we were giving people really swollen arms and allergic reactions because we're giving them too much tetanus vaccine so we stopped doing it um, then and only vaccinated them if they'd been had a complete course and then they were had an exposed um, incident so you know in garden or doing something where you potentially got the um, tetanus spores into your system so you know lots of um, lots of safety data which shows that these two viruses, these two vaccines are safe, but we haven't finished doing the research on them to look at things more longer term. 
Thanks, Nigel. Um, so this is call and recall. Can practices send out their own COVID-19 vaccination invitations letters or do we have to use the PHE centrally supplied uh, ones? You can use your own and they're going to send you templates if they've not done already. So they've got their own letters, but they've got templates which you can amend if you want to. OK, if patients have the first COVID vaccine at the hospital, how will we know and how will they let us know if the second needs giving in primary care? You won't give the second in primary care. They're expected to go back to the hospital and they will use farm outcomes the same as we will be using. And that data will then come straight back into your practice system. OK, because there's just a um, secondary question. A local paper trumpeted the fact that a GWHO patients had the vaccine, but we don't know anything about it yet. How will it come into us? So how long will it take to get into this? It comes in overnight, we're told. OK. Do we know if vaccines recorded through a pinnacle will be automatically updated into TPP? So I think yeah. probably, yeah. So pinnacle is the same as farm outcomes. So okay. EMIS bought pinnacle and farm outcomes is one of the pinnacle, pinnacle um, bits of software. Okay. There's a 21 day, 28 day, there's still a debate going on. What no, is no, it no, at the no, moment? There's no debate. So for the Pfizer-BioNTech, it's a minimum of 21 days. No, don't do it less than that. But if somebody turns up at 28 days or 32 days, you still give them the second dose. The other thing is if you've given the Pfizer-BioNTech and then you've run out of it and somebody comes back, then you're better giving them the AstraZeneca as a second one rather than nothing. Okay. Um, is there a PGD yet? No, but it's due, it was due out today or tomorrow. But in view of the um, this anaphylaxis, and I suspect they're modifying it, but it's expected to be out before the end of the week. Um. Slightly different question. Why have so many practices endorse it, not signed up to the enhanced surface? They have, they've all signed up. Yes, I don't know where someone's got that from. Interesting. Um, clinical waste. So, so, so just to be clear then, <laughs> um, as far as we're aware, from we, we've asked for returns from the CCGs, all practices in uh, Bath, North East Somerset, Wiltshire and Swindon have signed up. All the Dorset practices have signed up. All the um, Hampshire and Isle of Wight practices, with the exception of four practices in North East Hampshire and Farnham, have signed up. So we've got wide coverage. Okay, thank you. Um, clinical waste. If you're not using an NHS site, can you transport it back to your own practice? Mm, um, they should be arranging clinical waste to be picked up from your non-NHS site. Okay. So I would pick that up with your your CCG because we've got a um, what the meeting I'm gonna no I've got I've got a meeting in between them but at three o'clock I've got a, a a meeting of the um, primary care leads across Hampshire and I'll pick it up at that meeting. Okay, um, snowbed codes. Um, do we have the codes that should, we should search for for significant allergy? No, you should just if you um, if you add it if you add it as an allergy um, then it it well certainly on system one. I think it allows you to say, is this mild, moderate or severe? I mean, the problem we're going to have is lots of people have got recorded allergies of penicillin because as a child, they got a rash, which was probably related to the illness, not the penicillin they were given for a sore throat. But, you know, what it's saying is if they have a significant history of allergy or anaphylaxis, don't give the vaccine. So, again, I would I would wait um, because further advice will be coming out in the next couple of days. Uh, but at the moment, I think the advice, if anybody has a food allergy, a vaccine allergy or an antibiotic allergy, do not give them the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. OK. Um, are we allowed to proactively vaccinate our staff? Um, 
the legal mechanisms for administration of the COVID vaccine seem to suggest we cannot, but the LMC advice was that we could only in clinical priority and only if these vaccines are left over. So uh, you, you can vaccinate your own, own staff. Um, they changed the guidance on that, but the priority order should be the ever 80s, the care home staff, and then if you've got any vaccine left over, prioritise your own staff. So it's not giving it to everyone. It's, you know, who are the most at risk of your staff? Okay. Um, we're just talking about the information coming back in from the hospitals. So um, just comment that from the GWH um, vaccination yesterday, there's nothing in the records yet. So obviously that's just a question of waiting and seeing. hours to come through. Yeah, exactly. Um, flu code. Oh, flu. We'll go back to that in a minute. Um, collaboration agreement states that workforce need to be tested for COVID before giving the vaccines. Is the routine testing to be rolled out in primary care like secondary care have soon? So the COVID, um, I don't think it quite says that. So I'd need to go and have a look, but there are, practices have got swabs and they're looking at the lateral flow test, but it's not available in all practices and it won't be in the near future. So I don't think there's, I don't think, I can't remember reading anything in the collaborative agreement that says before you start vaccinating, you have to have a COVID test. Okay. Um, going back to the vaccine wastage, um, there's a clawback 5% wastage issue that people seem to be a little, want a little bit of clarification over. So, so the, the, the vaccine is really um, precious. You know, we, we can't afford to waste it. So what they don't want you to do is have your three and a half days and then have 200 vaccines left and just say, oh, well, you know, we'll chuck that away. So I don't believe there's any sense that you're going to be punished or financially disadvantaged because you waste more than 5%. So if you get the vaccine, the vial, the vial has got um, 0.2 mils of the, um, the, the, the vaccine in it. So it's this messenger RNA wrapped with four layers of lipid. So that's then freeze-dried to minus 70 to keep it stable. You then have a syringe and you draw up 1.8 mils of the normal saline and you'll get the, the dilutant and the proper syringe. You'll inject it um, and then you take 1.8 mils of air out and then you gently invert it 10 times. And that then mixes it. If you then suddenly shake it, it will go all frothy, which means you've broken the lipid down and then you've also damaged the messenger RNA and the virus, the vaccine becomes inactive. So they then provide you with um, a different syringe and different needle, and then you draw up the dose, which is 0.3 of a mil, and then you give it. You don't change the needle. So some of your nurses will say, oh no, no, we must change the needle. Um, if they tell you that, they haven't watched the COVID vaccination training video, which is quite explicit. You don't need to change the needle and then you give the injection. So that's 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 how that is. OK, thanks, Nigel. Um, there's lots of queries about the allergic reaction, but I think you're going to send out some information, aren't you, to clarify that. So I think we might. Well, what are the questions? Bit, if is it somebody has been allergic um, to penicillin it might give them a rash is that the sort of person we shouldn't give the vaccine yeah, to or do they do they have to have had an anaphylactic reaction before for you to say don't give the vaccination they're, they're talking about having a severe anaphylactic reaction but again i'd probably wait till the the, the formal advice comes out 
but I would err on the side of caution at the moment. You know, I wouldn't, if somebody says I'm allergic to penicillin, I've had a rash, um, how do you judge how severe that is or whether it was something else? So if they say they're, you know, if it's on their notes as they're allergic or they say they're allergic, I wouldn't risk giving them the vaccine at this point in time. Okay, apparently it's on the BBC News that two people have had severe reactions. So it feels like there's going to be a little bit of patient concern about that and that's going to be building a bit of momentum, isn't there? Okay. Um, When the vaccines are going to be delivered, Nigel, do we know what time they're going to be delivered? Because that obviously affects whether or not you can do much that day or not. You'll be told whether they're AM or PM and three days before um, they're delivered, you'll uh, you'll get the... Um, consumables will come as well, but you won't you won't be given an exact time. And to start with, um, the logistics of who are delivering it, so it's um, they won't come from the hospital start. They'll come from a pharmaceutical distributor. Uh, you you won't be able to say I want them on a Tuesday at nine o'clock or Wednesday. Now we're pushing quite hard to say as we go further into this, we need to be able to have some control over when we order it and when it gets delivered. Again. Remember that the current vaccine, once you get it, you've only got three and a half days to use it. And that's because once it comes out of the freezer, there's 120 hours um, of shelf life. So as soon as it comes out, it starts thawing. And then um, that day they deliver it to your surgery. So that's day one. You've then got three and a half days to use it. And then the last half day is really a sort of almost a catch up that what they don't want is, you know, you to find you haven't got enough people by five o'clock and you've got 20 vials, which then get ditched. So that's why it's three and a half days. Okay. Um, If we do have any that are sort of spare, can we give the vaccination to primary care staff who are under 50? You can. So you can give it to frontline primary care staff who are at risk. Okay. Um, there's a concern about the wave three practices. Is it still really going to be the 21st of December that we're getting the vaccines? Uh, allegedly so, but you know we're also we've also made the point that um, not only practices might find it difficult to vaccinate going into Christmas. I, th- I I suspect, and I may be completely wrong, that many patients will not want to have a vaccine on Christmas Eve or the day before Christmas Eve with the chance of having a headache, fever, joint aches, and feeling a bit grotty. Okay, and still about the timing of the vaccines coming in, Nigel. Given we only get 24 hours notice of when the vaccines will be delivered, we'd hoped to practice staff, hope, we had hoped to practice on staff being vaccinated for the first, oh, we'd hoped to vaccinate the staff on the first day. Given your guidance on staff of an over 80s, does it mean we shouldn't be doing that? Do we have to- You should be part, you should be part. If you look at the priority list, the the biggest risk factor is age. So they really do want you to vaccinate the over 80s first. There's a real concern that we're going to be having to be deliver these to deliver the COVID vaccines whilst being expected to continue running current services. Are there any discussions allowing primary care to focus on COVID? So there have been lots of discussions, but um, what we have to take account of is that in the first wave, patients came to harm with cancer and other complication of long-term conditions. So we can stop things that don't um, cause any irreversible harm. So, you know, the, the, for, for the wave two and now with the vaccination, they would like you to carry on with management of long-term conditions, screening, immunizations, management of non-COVID presentations so you can pick up cancers and other serious illnesses, which doesn't leave an awful lot to, that you can stop 
So we have had, we are having discussions with CCGs to say, you know, what is it within the enhanced services that we could pause for a time that wouldn't adversely affect the patients. So you will know in Quaff that, for example, the early diagnosis of cancer and the learning disabilities remain as part of Quaff, and they really want you to do those because we know that one of the groups that are most adversely affected by COVID are the people with learning disabilities, and we know that people are presenting late with cancer. So the early diagnosis of cancer remains a priority. Okay, so just do everything and do COVID as well. Well, well you know, there are things which we can potentially stop, but those, you know, those, if you've got any bright ideas, some of us were on a call with the Department of Health yesterday and talking to them about, you know, some of the bureaucracy that goes on. And, you know, it, this isn't just about GPs, this is also about practice managers. So I know your workload, your workload is immense. And then we just slip into it. Could you just work together and organise this vaccination programme. But by the way, we're going to change the rules of the game every 12 hours. We'll just give you something completely different to work on. So I recognise your job is a real challenge at the moment. Not that it isn't normally, but it's just an added layer of, dimen uh, of dimension, not dementia. But if there are things <laughs> you feel you feel that we that you that could stop being do that could stop being done, then let us know and we'll pass that on. And you know, before you before you even say it, CQC visits, we've already said that about 10 million times. So don't don't bother emailing me and say, could we stop CQC visits? But if you've got other ideas, then obviously let us know. I mean, we, yeah. we pushed back quite a lot of them and said, you know, that, that this, you know, some of the micromanagement of contracts, um, some of the reporting. When you work with the CCGs, you can see why some of the reporting is essential for the stuff they do, but some of it does seem to be bean counting for the sake of bean counting. Um, a suggestion that we cancel EDEC. You can't cancel EDEC. You, you, there, there is an issue about, you know, you're being given literally millions of pounds of public money. So there has to be a declaration. That's part of the property issue. I can. I didn't think EDEC was that difficult to complete. I guess it's just one more thing. I don't know. Um, I, I think I know who. I think I know who submitted that because I think they sent me an email about it. Um, on top of all this, we've been asked to move our extended hours to the week before or the week after Christmas. I think there's a suggestion that the CCG aren't being very realistic. There's a real dilemma, isn't there? Because, you know, we're getting flack because patients think we're closed because we're dealing with, you know, total triage, um, seeing people face to face, doing video consultations, trying to keep them safe. Um, and, you know, you then look at other things like extended opening. So again, the message about the COVID vaccination, once it gets up and running, once we've got through this bumpy start to it, is it's unlikely you can do it within your existing workforce. So you will be getting the money for the vaccinations plus a share of 150 million. So you need to expand your workforce. So at the moment, the CCGs are not mindful, nor are they nationally, to stop extended opening because anything to do with what would be perceived as being a deterioration in access doesn't go down terribly well. There's just an interesting comment that one CCG has agreed to the end of January to offer some flexibility. So obviously there are different CCGs behaving in different ways, which yeah. is nothing new, really, is it? No. Um, idea for reducing workload pro um, complaints process seems to be arduous and there's lots and lots of eye rang and it was busy. I can't get through sort of stuff. But um, no, not... we brought that up with the Department of Health yesterday to see to say, you know, that we're very happy to address, um, you know, serious complaints or, you know, complaints that are significant but not you know i don't like the color of your chairs in your waiting room or you know some of the other stuff which has become a bit, mm. a bit dark. 
Um, there's no debate. You have to use Pinnacle, don't you? You can't just yeah. use EMS. Yeah. No, you can't. So they are looking at the clinical systems becoming compliant, but they're not compliant at the moment. But hopefully in the new year they will be. But you do have to use Pinnacle. And having watched the video, so if you read the newsletter I sent out, there's two links there to the, which will show you how the Pinnacle software works. It actually looks quite, dare I say, quite simple and straightforward to use. I guess it's just one more extra thing to learn. And yeah, I get, I get that. Um, do GPs and nurses really have to complete the competence assessment? Yes. Okay. Um, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of the training and I've done about 12 hours. I don't think it's, you know, if you're an existing GP or nursing immunisation, then the number, the, the number of training modules you've got to do is relatively small. And certainly if you do the COVID vaccination one, which tells you about the Pfizer BioNTech, that is really useful to do. It tells you a lot of information and gives you a good understanding of how you need to handle the vaccine and use it. I think when you look at the returners and some of the other stuff, some of the um, training that I've completed online is very orientated towards the um, hospital. So the fire training I did, I failed it first time because I didn't know how to evacuate the hospital ward properly. And um, there was another bit which I didn't know where to put the dirty sheets in the ward. Um, so, you know, I think it is a bit hospital orientated, but uh, we are, we have made those comments back. But essentially, you need to, you know, the, certainly the BLS training needs to be done by people who are vaccinating. The anaphylaxis training sort of has suddenly become even more important than everybody does. But there is some quite useful stuff on um, our website and the uh, e-learning for health website about that. Um, what reassurance can you suggest um, that given to clinicians who are uncomfortable about running a COVID vaccination clinic if they haven't already had one dose of the vaccine themselves? Well, you shouldn't be having, I mean, people should be screened so they don't come in with a temperature feeling unwell. So, you know, if you're wearing a face mask, you should be no more at risk than seeing another patient or going to the supermarket. Having said that, I don't think it's unreasonable. I and mean, again, we're waiting to get complete clarification that if you're vaccinated, if you are one of the vaccinators and going to do it regularly that you ought to have the vaccine earlier early on and but don't be fooled to think that once you have your first vaccine you're then covered you won't really get covered till you have your second one 28 days later and then is it a number of days after the second one it, it is a, it is slightly after that but they they're saying that at 28 days you do get you you do get a response that will have an effect okay um where are we going to get extra staff at this time of year? We are, we will all burn out. And I think there's sort of the serious, there's obviously workforce bureaus. What can you, what reassurance can you give us on that, Nigel? So there are 1,800 people so far have contacted the Hampshire one. I know similar numbers, the proportion that have gone to the other two. Um, and there are people there who are willing and ready to come and help. Who, um, I think the, the, one of, one of my concerns is that practice will go at this with a gusto to start with, and then they'll find within a few weeks that they do need help. And then some of the people that have volunteered will be drifting off because there's nothing for them to do. So there is a workforce out there. The Workforce Bureau are processing, I think the this morning Hampshire was saying they're processing 1,200 people to get them onto uh, NHS professionals so that they'd be ready to either work in the large vaccination centres or potentially work in general practice. Okay, that is reassuring. Um, there seems to be an increasing movement against COVID masks, vaccines, etc. Is there any more the LMC could do with messaging, please? Lots of people are causing a fuss seemingly to make a point. 
Sorry. I think there's a question. There seems to be a lot of people now on the media. There's a movement against COVID. So the anti-vaccinators, people right. don't want to wear masks anymore. I don't think I'm, I don't want to get involved. Is there anything we can do to positively encourage the messaging for practices? We are trying to do that. Um, but also there's some national stuff which is coming out this week, we believe. I mean, I, it, it's a bit like um, some of you may remember all the debate with MMR and autism. Um, personally, having looked after two children when I was doing paediatrics who died of measles used to make me feel uh, really quite despondent and angry when people would be saying, oh, don't have the measles, the MMR because, you know, your child might get autism when there was no evidence to support it. And I think if you look at the COVID vaccination and some of the um, what some people are saying, some of it is complete and utter twaddle. So some of this stuff about, well, you shouldn't have it if you're uh, a vegan because it's got vegetable uh, it's got animal products in it hasn't um if it's grown on eggs so you shouldn't do it it's not um well you can catch the virus from it well the messenger rna isn't a non-replicating uh, bit of rna and it's like a snapchat message that disappeared so it doesn't give you the active virus it's not it's not a live vaccine um and they're going to you know the, the comment out of somewhere or other that they're injecting microchips into you and then people are prepared to believe that they only need to go into the hospitals and, you know, our, we are we have had relatively low levels of COVID compared to other pairs, parts of the country. But of a couple of our hospitals and certainly at the moment, Portsmouth Hospital, their ITU is full um, of COVID patients. Um, so they only need to look at the people who are um, dying each day of COVID. Um, what there was 600 plus yesterday. You know, we've had over 60,000 people die within 20 days of catching COVID, 28 days of catching COVID. You know, if people think um, that that's, a, you know, that we can go on living like that, then, you know, I, I, I despair in the logic that they've got. The other thing which we don't know enough about yet is this thing called long COVID. So there are patients who are in the younger age group who've got COVID, who've then got long-term complications of the COVID. And that's what's been called long COVID. Some of them are mental health, some of them are neurological, some of them are cardiac, some of them are respiratory. But it will be a while before we can see, so what percentage of people will get these long-term side effects? So, you know, if anybody thinks that it's much better that we don't do anything, we just carry on in the state we are, rather than um, we get on and vaccinate people, um, I think that's, in, in, my, in my humble opinion, an illogical thing. I have to say, I will be in the queue to have my COVID vaccination as soon as I'm allowed to have it. I think we are trying to send messages out to practices and we've been doing that for the for the last sort of 10 days or so, trying to when things are changing. So you can either tweet it, put it on Facebook, put it, posters up in your whatever you can do. Um, but um, maybe we'll make, try and make that a bit stronger. It's difficult, isn't it? Just try and um, appeal to the right people at the right time in the right way. Um, this might involve you, actually, Michelle. Can we advise the correct immunisation training for healthcare professionals as per the enhanced service? The e-learning for health seems to take seven hours. Is this correct? And do GPs really need to do it? So we have developed a, a table. This is using the PHE guidance and putting in the links into that so where you access these uh, training. It is e-learning for health. Uh, I don't know, Nigel, if you want to comment on that. I think that is the only option. Yeah, the, the, it is. I mean, I think the document that you're in the process of finalising and they're going to share then has the links in it, which makes it much easier. Because certainly having gone on to e-learning for health and then trying to trawl around to see what mandatory training I was supposed to do um, was was a bit of a challenge. Yeah, 
And there's a three-page competency self-assessment document where it has to be ratified by a supervisor. Does everybody have to do that? Um, the, the returners do. Okay. Um, do we have access to Pinnacle now? Is it available to be used? Um, it will be shortly. So it is used in pharmacies, so they use it all the time. Um, your um, lead person within your PCN grouping will be given inverted commas, a super user password then to allow other people to do it. So um, I would again encourage you to look at the links I put in the newsletter I sent out this morning, which will show you two YouTube videos, which will show you what Pinnacle looks like, which are very short. Or you could do the really radical step of going next door to your um, nice pharmacist and talk to them and saying, could you have a look at the Pinnacle software that they've got? They could show it to you. Okay. Um, are we required to pay RUH for providing staff for these clinics? Because they're the Workforce yeah. Bureau, aren't they, in BSW? Can yeah, we employ them ourselves? You can. Yeah, you can. But you're going to have to DBS check them or um, have a contract with them. So the idea with the Workforce Bureaus is they'll do all the training, they'll do the DBS checks, then they will employ them and then they will charge you for them. Well, that's certainly how it's going to happen in Hampshire and maybe in the other two areas. But if you've got you know, uh, retired GPs, nurses or other people that you want to directly employ, so long as you've gone through the correct employment things and they're DBS checked and they've done the other things, then you can do that directly if, that, if that's what you wish to. I think there's just a real concern, um, which won't surprise you, but um, it's worth, worth mentioning that the staff are really tired. Everybody's very fed up. They've had enough chocolate. That's not, that's not keeping the motivation going. We've got another few months of this. And there's just a real concern that how do we, how do we as practice managers keep people going and keep ourselves going, I guess? Well, I think you're the experts at it. So um, I, I agree. There's only so many chocolates you can buy. Um, but actually, you know, talking to quite a few GPs as well, they said exactly the same. They're really positive, quite excited about doing the programme, but they're tired. This has been quite a long slog. I mean, the only thing I, could, I can say to you is that we're not going to get out of this unless we, we get the programme up and running and we vaccinate more than 75% of the population. And there are people like me who I'm going to go and help my practice. You know, I'm quite happy to go and do a couple of hours in an evening vaccinating people, which is probably a bit different from what I'm doing during the day most of the time, going from meeting to meeting. And, you know, in my practice, I think there's five, six, six or seven recently retired GPs or in the last couple of years who volunteered to come back and help. Um, I think there are other people, but I absolutely recognise the challenge that you've got with, um, you know, all of our staff. Um, but, you know, some of the uh, 150 million that you'll, you know, that you'll get your share of is to expand your staffing over the winter. So to bring new staff in to help you out. But, I, I you know, I don't think we'll... Um, feel the benefit of all of this until we, we get out and we can sort COVID out and we can get back to managing our practice without those restrictions. I wouldn't use the term back to normal because I don't know what normal is going to be next summer. Yeah. But, you know, if we, if we get rid of the restrictions that this terrible virus puts on us, uh, trying to deliver care, um, that's really significant. Yeah, of course it is. Um, we have a list of volunteers willing to drive patients. Given our patients will have to drive to a different town to have their vaccine, do the volunteers need a DBS? And is there anything else legal we need to be aware of? I don't think I'm the best person to answer that. I know, I know there is. I know there are issues with volunteer drivers, and um, but I don't know. I don't know the details of that, so I don't think I can answer that. Michelle, Lisa, anybody got any ideas? Or should we could always go back afterwards? Michelle's got your 
I think we probably need to take this one away and um, respond to it separately. Yeah, okay. thank you. Um, sorry, that's just somebody saying that we're being helpful. So thank you for that. Um, so you try and be helpful. I know. I know. Sometimes. I mean, I feel when I'm sending some of my emails out, particularly this morning, I thought, "Oh goodness me, I'm going to send this out, and this is going to cause." Uh, but we do try and be helpful, and we do try and find solutions to your problems. I know it may not always seem like that, but we we as a team work really closely together, and we do try really hard uh, to meet your needs. Um, so a lot of 80 plus patients won't have mobiles or emails for us to send the pension information leaflet on. Will there be an expectations for PCNs to provide printed copies at our own expense or will these be supplied? So you will get a delivery next week for the Wave 1 sites on Monday for the leaflets, which they suggest if you're going to send letters that you put one of those in the letter. We've had some discussions with the CCGs because they... Um, they were asked last night on the webinar to print some of these leaflets off. I can't see how they're going to print them off and deliver them to you before Monday when you're going to get the others. So my suggestion is, you know, where you can share it electronically, do that, but then wait till the leaflets come. Okay. I mean, you could um, decide to print some off yourself in the practice, but, you know, that, that will be time-consuming and a cost to you. Okay. Um, for us to meet the needs of our population, our GPs will have to do 12 hours a day just to get the vaccine administered. Is that your experience in the, what you've experienced in your practice, Nigel? No, because no, the GPs aren't going to be doing a lot of it. We, we've expanded on nursing workforce and HCAs and other people to do the vaccine. Some of the GPs are, are, are happy to volunteer and do some, um, but it's not being, this isn't largely a doctor driven programme. No. Um, but as, uh, talking to some of the nurses and the HCAs who many of them work less than full time again realise that if we're going to get out of this we need to pull together as a community and therefore contribute to it you know people are doing lots of amazing things in communities during this you know looking after the elderly doing their shopping doing you know all sorts of things and you know this is a role that we can play in general practice mm -hmm. Um, there's a comment here that I think will echo well, some of the things you've said, Nigel. We've had a lady who's an ex-practice nurse, keen to help, but tried to work through the process to volunteer and has come back. It's so long-winded, has completely been put off doing it. So the, the, the question then is, what would that person want to do? So, you know, it, are, are they still registered with the NMC? Do they have, you know, can they come and work with you as a nurse or are they going to come work as a vaccinator? Um, you know, I think it's what role do they want and, and what do you you know, how do you want to use their their skills? Um, and as wave two and wave three, are they actually confirmed yet, Nigel? Wave, wave two has been confirmed. Wave three hasn't. But if you think wave two is only two days after we have wave one, it's not a lot of time to do um, the PDSA cycle and do a lot of learning and implementing the change. Um, just go back to the leaflets. Will they be sent to us electronically so we can send no. them out with a letter via doc mail? No, they're, they're already, you can always, already get them electronically on the PHE website. They're, my understanding is that the actual leaflets are going to be sent to you and they've done them in different languages and in Braille. So if you need specific ones rather than the general ones, then you can order those. Okay. Um, can you just clarify about the 15 minutes? Do they have to wait 15 minutes after having the vaccine? So as you know, we started off saying, yes, you do. And then we said, no, we've got clear guidance, you don't. But because of these two cases of severe anaphylaxis, the, what we're hearing, and I'm waiting to see it in writing, is that 
we are probably going to have to get everybody to wait 15 minutes after they've been vaccinated. So the reason I sent that out earlier was that's what we've been told. I haven't seen it in formal writing, but we've only just seen the, uh, the regulators warning that was sent out. But we think at the moment that's the most likely thing, although these things do always change. You know, we, we could say nothing and then wait till Monday and then suddenly say to you all, oh, by the way, you've got to keep people 15 minutes, which would probably be um, worse than where we are at the moment. OK, and a couple of questions have come in before the webinar. Um, public liability for non-practice staff working on our premises and patients. Well, if you've got your public liability insurance, then you're covered um, under the um, CNSGP. Anybody working under a primary care contract is covered. So. It doesn't matter who who they're employed by in that sense. Um, the only thing I would say is any of these volunteers that are doing anything clinically, you know, vaccinating, just make sure you do have a contract with them because that's working under the contracts, what gives them the indemnity. Okay. Um, and if we are using an off-site venue away from the practice, can we get more oxygen? Um, we, I don't know the answer to that. Um, certainly... It's one of the questions we've asked because the deliveries are going to come with oxygen masks, but no oxygen. So obviously, if you're in your own practice or in a shared premises, there's probably going to be oxygen there. But that's not the same for the church halls or everything else. But um, that's the question we haven't got an answer to at the moment. OK, just one comment about us saying actually it's not the GPs necessarily doing the vaccinations. One comment is actually it probably is going to be the GPs because the nurses have got to do other things at the same time. So it's just a question of I mean, yeah. and the cost of waiting well, and admin. And You could argue that the GPs have got other things to do as well. I think it's going to be a whole team approach to pitch in. So, you know, that's why I think practices need to not just say we we'll use our existing workforce within existing hours to take on all this extra work. It's actually, how can we manage it? Um, are people who work less than full-time, could they do more of it? Um, could they do some more hours to be able to, to deliver this programme, whether they be HCAs, nurses or doctors? Okay. Um, Michelle, just there's been also a request for the link to the COVID training video. Where are you putting the very helpful table with all the training links in? Where is that going to be so people can access it really easily? Dawn has literally done it while we were talking. So it's on our COVID-19 webpage. We've updated that today. So that's all available on there. And that's from the homepage. You can just get uh, click on the homepage, can't you? Lovely. Um, and just a final question for you, I think, um, Michelle, flu coding. Ardens have said it only needs to be recorded on the vaccination screen and needs no other codes for payment. Is that right? That's an interest. That's interesting. I think we need to just go and look at what Ardens have said there. So my understanding is that if you if you're over 65 or if you're 50 to 64 cohorts, you do only need to you, know, you need to record that you've given a flu vaccine because the eligible groups are taken from their age. The, at, the clinical at risk, most of those will also be coded. So things like diabetes, etc. They're going to have a diagnosis code on their record. The issue is around the non-clinical at risk. And my understanding is that you they do need to have an eligible code to ensure that they then get picked up, that they've had a flu vaccine. But we can clarify that. But my understanding was they did need the eligible code to be added. So the things that would fall within that are the household contacts of shielded patients, the health and social care workers, those types of code need to be do also need to be added on um, onto the clinical record. Okay, thank you, Michelle. Nigel, I know you need to go because you've got another meeting that you need to be chairing. So thank you. But 
Thank you very much um, for that. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Lisa. We have come to the end of the questions. And um, thank you, Dawn, for um, being there as supportive and putting on the, the website. That's been really helpful. So um, very nice to see you. There's a news webinar next week, the 16th. And then we've also got in our diary one on the 23rd of December, which is probably the last thing you want to do is see us again, just so close to Christmas. But we thought actually with things moving so quickly, that would be helpful. Um, so it'd be Wednesday at one o'clock. Great. OK, thank you very much, everybody. And take care. See you soon. Thanks very much, everybody. Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice.